because the earth is so much more cargo being moved by ships and mm. shipping is so important for global trade, we do need to reduce emissions from, from shipping. Hello, this is the Weekly Tradecast, a podcast brought to you by UNCTAD, the UN's trade and development body. I'm Sarah Toms. We're exploring how major events are shaping trade and development and how that affects billions of people around the world. This week, we're looking at decarbonizing or reducing carbon dioxide emissions in our ports and ships. The shipping industry is vital to the global economy, with about 90% of all traded goods moving around the world by sea. But there's a big downside for the environment. As their massive engines churn, cargo ships produce as much carbon dioxide every year as the whole of Japan. On its own, the shipping industry accounts for roughly 3% of global greenhouse gas emissions. That has to change as shipping companies must drastically reduce carbon emissions by 2050 to stay in line with the Paris Climate Agreement's 1.5 degrees C global heating target. But transforming the sector is a complicated business. More investment and innovation in alternative fuels is needed, along with big changes in ship design and port infrastructure. Now, joining me now to find out how we would go about it is Jan Hoffman, head of UNCTAD's trade logistics branch. Jan is an economist. He spent many years working for a shipping company in Germany, so he has hands-on experience of sailing the seas. Well, thank you for joining us here today, Jan. So thank you. Let me know, why are cargo ships and ports such huge guzzlers of fuel and emitters of carbon dioxide? And give me an idea of how this compares um, going by sea to uh, planes, for instance. Right, right, right. Now, globally, ships move uh, about 200 times more tons of cargo uh, than aeroplanes. But the total emissions, as you just mentioned, are about 3% in both, approximately, order of magnitude, mm. very similar. In terms of fuel efficiency, large container ship burns 3 grams per ton of cargo per kilometer, while a plane moves or burns more than 400 grams. So this difference, 3 grams versus 400 grams, shows the difference in efficiency. Right. But yes, because there is so much more cargo being moved by ships and mm. shipping is so important for global trade, we do need to reduce emissions from, from shipping. Well, what options do we have then to do this uh, for cleaner fuels, for instance? And what are the challenges? There are a number of alternative uh, fuels, but, but none as of today is as efficient, as energy dense as, as the classical uh, bunker fuel. We are talking about green methanol, ammonia, hydrogen. The challenge is that in previous energy transitions, mm. the shift from sail to coal or from steam to oil, the new solution was less costly. It was better. Now, in this energy transition, in this changing of fuel for the shipping industry, the new solution is not as efficient, but the costs that we are reducing are the external costs. They're the cost to society, to future generations. So this we must reduce, of course, but it's not as easy and self-financing as the previous transitions. And um, I understand uh, you're currently working on the review of maritime transport. You suggest the possibility of using not just one fuel. How, what is that and how does it work? It's 
not so much a suggestion, but it's a reality that we do not yet know which fuel will be the one or the best one. It may depend on certain routes, distances, uh, where it is available. And already today, the, a number of new ships are so-called dual fuel ships. They use either. And right. it has an advantage for the ship owner because it's like when LNG prices, gas prices go very high, then I can go back to my more traditional fuel. So the dual fuel has some advantages, but I'm not sure if it is like the solution. It's more of a necessity during the transition. Well, we've established why it's so important mm -hmm. that shipping mm -hmm. gets greener. Mm -hmm. But how far along is the industry in actually meeting the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement? The challenge is that shipping and air was not initially included in the Paris Agreement. It was said it, it was not within national boundaries, goals. It was difficult to assign to countries. But this is no longer the case uh, with technology, with satellites, with measuring who is getting fuel where. Today we know who is emitting. Like you can assign it to the flag of the ship, the ownership, the geography, the importer, the exporter. And we show this uh, in collaboration with, with partners. Uh, we show which countries are emitting how much. And this then also allows to assign the cost, the price and to reduce. But it's not a straightforward transition, is it? What must be considered to make this massive shift? We really need a predictable multilateral framework. In our upcoming review, we, we have new data on the age of the fleet. Uh, the fleet is getting older, while it should get younger. We should have more and new and more efficient ships. But investors are waiting. Investors are not sure what will be the future price of fuel, future technology, future regulation. So we need a multilateral framework, not a regional in petrol. Second, we need a price on carbon. Alternative fuels need to become competitive compared to the traditional fuels. And this issue of paying the right price. That gives the initiative back to those who really have to take the decision where to go, how to go, how fast to go, and then decide what is the most cost-effective solution. As long as I pay for my the negative externality, the, the emission, like the damage I'm causing. So we are pleased to see there's a, a real shift in terms of that this is accepted. Now, even five years ago, this was very controversial. I think we are getting there. A price for carbon that has achieves two things. and makes alternative fuels competitive. And that leads to my third point. It can generate funds. And these funds are necessary because we need to ensure that the most vulnerable economies do not pay an undue price for the transition. The, the same countries that are most negatively affected by climate change mm. should not be the ones also most negatively affected by this transition. And again, we reiterate, we need to decarbonize, but we also need to make sure that those who are affected by lower connectivity, lower speeds, more expensive shipping, get support. And in ACTA, we can actually help them with support in smart ports, trade facilitation, customs automation, port management. There are quite a few things where we can then help them to somehow compensate for the additional costs that we cannot avoid during the transition. What are the consequences for developing countries and how can they possibly afford to support this transition? Because it is going to be expensive. The developing countries are a very diverse group. They're, they're very different interests. Some are major exporters of raw materials, of agricultural products, and, and so on. Others really do not have the diseconomy of scale. Others are very far away. They have very small markets, very low connectivity. So 
I wouldn't really put all developing countries in, in one group, but we, we did this uh, impact assessment on some upcoming measures. And we started with a blank piece of paper. We didn't have any preconceived views or so, but we, the conclusion clearly was that small island developing states and a number of least developed countries are more negatively affected by, by these. And still, they are also the ones more negatively affected by climate change. We need their votes, we need their support. They have to agree to consensus to new measures. But to do this, they also need to be assured that they will not be the ones paying a disproportionately higher price for this transition. No? The price on carbon can be combined with providing the funding to generate this support which will be necessary. And what would compel the shipping industry to use a progressively greater share of low and zero carbon fuels? It's economics. Um, it must be commercially viable. It must be, including in the long term, right. it must be cheaper. And that is why we must make the fuels that cause the emissions, we must make them so costly that the others, the alternative fuels, become competitive. Thanks so much, Jan. That was Unclad's Jan Hoffman, who was this week's guest. Tune in to the weekly Tradecast next week and every week for more insights on the most pressing issues around the world of trade and development. And there's even more on our website, unctad.org. I'm Sarah Toms in Geneva. Goodbye for now.